0: Today's Words and Nerds podcast is sponsored by The Accomplice, by Steve Kavanagh. If you were married to a serial killer, would you know? Steve Kavanagh's follow-up to the best-selling 13 50-50 and The Devil's Advocate is his twistiest yet. The Sandman serial killings have been solved. Daniel Miller murdered 14 people before he vanished. His wife, Carrie, now faces trial as his accomplice. The FBI, the district attorney, the media, and everyone in America believe she knew and 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 helped cover up her husband's crimes. The only thing between a life in jail or freedom is Eddie Flynn and his team. Steve Kavanagh is the master of the twist, and The Accomplice will keep you guessing right to the last page. The Accomplice is released in Australia on the 26th of July. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. You talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. And I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm Uh, feeling sick. (laughs) 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 Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. welcome to another words and nerds podcast episode where we give you literary goodness straight to your ears wherever you are today i'm super excited to welcome e lockhart author of the number one new york times bestseller we were liars a book that has stayed with me for a very long time she also invented a superhero for dc comics which we'll have to talk about her other books include whistle a new gotham city hero and again and again 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 The Disreputable History of Frankie Lando Banks was a National Book Award finalist and a Prince Honour Book. Genuine Fraud was a New York Times bestseller and a finalist for the LA Times Book Prize. Very impressive. But today I have you here to talk about Family of Liars. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Now, you are beaming all the way from New York City, I believe, and it's bright and early for you, 5.30 (laughs) a.m.? how is it in New York that's true still dark still dark what's the weather like in New York It's like 80 degrees out it's beautiful Beautiful. everything's blooming oh yes, beautiful yes I've been to New York once and I just I think everyone does they fall in love with the place because it's just it's incredible place you just everywhere you walk it's almost like a different world you know and I, I just did a lot of walking when I was there and you walk for 10 15 minutes and you're just in a completely different place it's it's um quite a it's such an interesting place so I look forward to going back now, I'm going to start with this book. Um, loved this book just as much as I love the other one, Family of Liars. I want you to start with an elevator pitch as to what this one is about. Sure. Um, well, Family of
1: Liars is a prequel to We Were Liars, and both books are set on Beechwood Island, which is a privately owned island owned by one family off the coast of Massachusetts. And in Family of Liars, um, three teenage sisters who have spent every summer on this island island for all of the find themselves upended by the arrival of a literal boatload of cute boys
0: (gasps) how terrible (laughs) (laughs) well very bad things happen after that absolutely um,
1: it's a lot of fun yes
0: now i want to talk about the setting because it's a private island and that sort of adds to the darkness of the story tell me how important setting is for these particular novels
1: well, I, I've never been to a private island. Um, I grew up going um, to Martha's Vineyard in the summer where my maternal grandpa the home. Uh, and the life there was very, very different from my everyday life at home with my mom. Um, I was raised by a single parent. We lived in communal households for a lot of my life, um, you know, full of sort of meditating pot smoking hippies. Um, <laughs> And then I would go to this, you know, kind of pretty privileged waspy east coast environment um, with this really stunningly beautiful um, landscape. Uh, it, You know, craggy cliffs and rolling waves. And um, so Beachwood Island in the novel, uh, in the novels has um, a lot of that same landscape quality. And it's a family that is very much like um, that waspy side of my family in terms of education and values and things like that. But they're crazy rich in the novel, which was not true in my family. (laughs) And also kind of terrible in some deep ways that um, I had a lot of fun inventing. And the isolation of the island of pressure on the events, right? The community of the Sinclair family and their guests. And it takes quite a while by boat. Or, or to Martha's Vineyard, um, same same difference, right? It's quite a while to get anywhere. Um, so all the shopping is done ahead and, you know, um, and they become, you know, a, a very tight knit um, group of teenagers, all these kids who are spending the summer on this island. And so that, you know, sort of whips people up into a, a frenzy
0: wow i love that and and it is really important to have that island for many reasons to show their wealth but also you know when there's it takes a long time to get somewhere when there's danger there you know that sort of increases the odds doesn't it so i I loved that setting (laughs) yeah it takes a long time for the police to get there we can put it that way (laughs) absolutely and and maybe there's you know a bit of lack of service in places like that too so it adds to the fear i think and the the fact that you're trapped and you're not safe so you know that was a really important element i think this book has. Just the best blurb on the back, honestly. And I just want to read a little bit of it. It says, The Sinclairs never reveal their secrets until now. Welcome to the Sinclair family. People see us as extraordinary, tragic, beautiful. We do not crumble even when our love betrays us. We do not falter even when we lose one of our own. We do not break even when there's blood on the sand. Perhaps that is all you need to know except that we were always liars. It just... If you don't want to read the book after picking that up, (laughs) I don't know what will get you to read a book. Tell me about the creation of the blurb. And I'm interested because did you, was that blurb in existence and helped direct your writing or was that just how it it happened and the blurb happened after?
1: Um, The blurbs are used by um, editors at Mm. the publishing house. Um, But in the case of uh, We Were Liars, I wrote the blurb, and with Family of Liars, they sketched one out and then I kind of went in and made it feel closer to the voice of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the thing that always bothers me when when editors write a, a blurb for. Or what we call in the US flap copy or or back jacket copy, depending on the cover or a paperback. Um, it always bothers me because it doesn't sound like me. Right. So it's this description of my book and it doesn't sound like me. So I usually go in there and mess with it um, (laughs) after they've done some kind of 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 first draft, Um, because they know what points they want to hit and they know, you know, it's their job to market the book, not mine. But um, but I really do want it to have that same kind of flavor of of the novel. And so that the you know, the repetitions um, and the kind of. self-aggrandizing of the family those are two things that you know thread throughout throughout family liars and um you know this the self-aggrandizing of of the family is is a topic that has always interested me uh you know the family families most families fancy you know wealthy families like the Sinclairs and everyday ordinary families of all types tell stories about their own family like our family's all about this or you know no your grandparents came over from, you know, Poland and started a grocery. This is my dad's side of the family, right? Started a grocery in the Bronx, and it was really hard. And you know, your grandmother was so beautiful that when, when men came over to visit her sisters, they had to hide her in the closet so the men wouldn't pay attention to her because she was the youngest one. Like, there's these, you know, stories that we tell about our families, um, and that we tell over and over, and we create little myths. Really, I mean, mm. they might be based in truth, but in the retelling and in the repetition. Uh, the, the stories move further from the truth and become more entrenched in our imaginations as like, this is what we are about. And so I think that's, you know, part of what I, what that flap copy is doing, but also it's what I'm doing in the novel is like looking at what that means in a kind of an exaggerated form. The Sinclair's like, have a whole set of beliefs, right? Be a credit to this family, that is the job of the teenagers in the novel, right? To be a credit to that family and what they do reflects on the family and the weight of that and the the stories that the Sinclairs tell um, about each other is is really heavy. And um, and I guess part of the idea of Family of Liars is that Carrie, the eldest teenager, you know, the person with the most weight upon her to be a credit to the family um, is now telling her version of the story of her life instead of somebody else's version.
0: Mm -hmm. And I just think all of that is so powerful. You know, the the voice is very, it's always been very distinct with these two novels and, you know, you can see, yes, the self-grandizing, but also there's a lot of, there's a lot of damage, I think, um, coming through there. Like you can see that the characters are damaged and I just love the voice. And that's just what keeps you cracking through these novels because you need to find out because they're not all bad, you know, they've got some bad things about them, about the best characters in, in novels that um, you know, they do have those different sides of them and some of those sides are the darker sides that we don't often show of ourselves or um like when we see them in real life. So I find that extremely intriguing. Thank you. Yeah, so do I. I mean I'm
1: I, I love it in other people's fiction as well. Mm. I was trying to do it in my own.
0: Yeah, and look it must resonate. I mean, we were liars, sold nearly two million copies around the world. I mean, how does that feel? It feels very nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah, uh, Family of Liars just just hit number one on the New York Times bestseller list yesterday. Wow. So uh, that's new for me. I've never launched a hardcover onto the bestseller list uh, to the top of the bestseller list before. And, um, you know, I've written a lot of books and not all of them find a big audience Mm -hmm. and Um, especially during the pandemic, right? Again, again, it was a novel that I was so proud of and I worked so hard on, and it just came out at the wrong time, I think, Um, partly because of the pandemic, uh, changing people's reading habits and wanting people wanting to sort of read something they already knew what it was, and partly Mm -hmm. because um, of paper shortages and publishing issues and all kinds of stuff. but that I, that just has to be okay, right? For a book mm. to come out and have it be quiet, because you cannot necessarily find readers with every book that you publish. Mm. Um, some books are gonna are gonna find a a big audience, and some are just not going to. It's the nature of the of the job, and so uh, I've had ups and downs, you know, throughout my career. And it's it's super nice to have readers, yeah. right? I mean, it's it's. That is why we tell stories, right? We are trying to make a communication. And so when you have, I mean, other elements of it are nice, right? Like it's it's nice to have some money. It's nice to get mail from people. It's nice to go to events and have people there. But the real thing is just to feel that you've told a story and people have read it.
0: Yeah. And it's resonated with them. And obviously this is a story and Sinclair's are people that have resonated with people, you know, there's something in it that keeps people coming back. I mean, congratulations on the best selling, um, this, this time. That's amazing. Thank you.
1: We were liars has a big plot twist that people like, but I don't think that's necessarily the reason that they come back. And because what I see when I do events and in the mail that I get, um, is that people are rereading the times they've read it five times, 10 times even. And so they're not reading because they, I mean, they're not reading for the excitement of the plot twist, because they already know the plot twist. I think they're reading because it's taking them on a kind of a cathartic emotional journey. And also because the friendship of the four teenagers in that novel is, um, in that way, it's I hope it's a pleasure to do, right, that there are bad things that happen in both of these books but there are also a lot of kind of intense um, summer relationships and friendships and romances that um, hopefully are you know are fun to read are are pleasurable and you know
0: yeah they lighten up the dark a bit but people are drawn i think those kind of readers they're drawn to dark things you know and i think that's that comes with both of these books Um, uh, we were lies and family of Liars. there's something about it that is dark that, that draws me to it for sure
1: yeah i think it's a, it's an you know it's kind of an unsilencing of of family secrets and of unspeakable things i think that's something these two books have in common is the un, unsilencing of you know of secrets, basically. And I think that that is a very powerful thing in young adult literature generally. I mm-hmm. think that's kind of part of the job of a lot of young adult literature is, is to unsilence, to give voice um, experience um, that either our larger society wants to silence or that gets silenced in within smaller community groups.
0: Mm. I find it really interesting, too, because you've got the the facade of the family, as you were sort of talking about before, on the reputation of the family, that people see the outward appearance, and then you've got the interior of the family, which we're lucky enough to see as readers. And I really like how those two things collide constantly.
1: Thank you. It's, I think that's tricky in any family, right? Yeah, totally. How do we present ourselves to the world and what's really going on? What's really going on? I
0: think we all relate. That's why we like it. <laughs> yeah. now, was, was this book a challenge to write in that We Were Lies was so popular, had sold so many copies? I know it's a prequel, but going into this, did you think, wow, it needs to measure up to the first or did you just try and push that aside and just go for it with this one?
1: Yeah, I think you have to just push it to the side. I mean, and and make the best book that you know how to make. Um, I did really try to create a similar experience in terms of world building and style um, and some themes um, from We Were Liars that I threaded through Family of Liars. But I wanted it also to feel fresh and surprising, so I wanted you to come back to this world and be excited to be in it and and find all the things that you wanted to find, but at the same time be pretty surprised at what you found so that was a pretty tricky. block.
0: Mm, mm. Now, I, I've seen your popularity on TikTok, or they call it BookTok now. I'm not too familiar with TikTok. I'm trying to get there. I feel like I'm too old. But it's just insane. Like some of your TikTok videos, or one of them has 67 million views. Like how? How does this happen? Oh, well, right. I'm not making those videos, right? <laughs> yeah, Other yeah, people yeah. are
1: making those videos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, readers are making those videos. And I think that, you know, It's it's mostly young people, mostly female identified are making like short films about books that they care about. Mm -hmm. And those films are sometimes like I would categorize them as aesthetics. In other words, people are making uh, videos that that collage photographs and film clips together to create a kind of a feeling of the world of of. of a book with a with a little soundtrack, um, and then the other thing that has happened, at least with We Were Liars, is like really emotional responses—people crying and throwing the book across the room, and and having that kind of very vulnerable, honest reaction in their in their TikToks. And so, no author could do either of those really, mm. right? It's a, those are reader interpretations and reader responses responses, and I think that um, created some room for a dialogue about books that was in a different shape than the conversation on Instagram, which was more focused on um, reading lists and and stacks and shelfies and you know um, beautiful images of of the physical properties of books, which is another exciting. Thing right, the enjoyment of the tangible physical presence of of books, um, and then discussion of them in in the text beneath the picture. But um, the aesthetic on Instagram is re- is really different from the aesthetic on TikTok, and um, and I think that the TikTok aesthetic is is generally more raw, um, and more creative in certain ways, um, more narrative, right? Because it's a narrative form filmmaking, um, and so people just. Had these conversations and they started having them about We Were Liars, um, among other books, right? Like um, They Both Die at the End by Adam Silvera, or Song of Achilles, or uh, um, Colleen Hoover's novels. You know, things have um, become really popular that were published a while ago because readers on TikTok found them.
0: Mm, it's incredible, isn't it? And I love—I actually love that it's driven by readers because it seems more authentic, and you know, you're really knowing that these people are loving and enjoying your book. So I love that—you um, know—the new book talk that's kind out. It's probably not that new anymore, but I love how readers are really getting involved in making those. Because um, you, can, like you said, an author can't do that, and it must just be so exciting to to see that these people have been moved so much from what you've written that they're creating these other. Um, you know, creative spaces for what you've written. It must be a really good feeling.
1: Yeah, it was lovely. I mean, I was, I, I had nothing to do with it. My publisher had nothing to do with it. Yeah. It was completely organic. And, you know, now I'm on TikTok a little bit, trying to be <laughs> a tiny bit amusing for people who are interested, um, usually amusing around something connected to my books. Um But I don't expect to be really part of the book talk conversation because that's not my place, right? Mm. My place is to offer like a little bit of of content um, for people who are interested in what I write. Um, But those reader conversations, you know, should be taking place reader to reader, right? They're not really my business. They're not the business of any author so much um, as they are, you know, an, a, you know, self-generated reader community.
0: Mm, yeah, no, I love that. I love that a lot because readers have taken ownership of the book and, you know, what it means to them might be completely different to the author's intention. And I love that because once you put a piece of art into the world, you kind of don't own all of it anymore, you know?
1: <laughs> no, you do not, right? People are going to read things and, and have their own interpretations and those are are as valid as anything else mm. once the
0: book is out. Absolutely. I really like um, what you said about teenagers and why this is probably resonated with teenagers, because they're looking for togetherness with their own peers. I mean, we know that we know that from being teenagers ourselves. We know that from being human beings. But I think, I think when you're a teenager, it's even more so that need to find your tribe, that need to, you know, feel like you're coming into independence and adulthood and that togetherness in a really difficult period of time, I think, I think is so important and your, your novel definitely shows that.
1: Yeah, I think it's that and I think it's also um, that desire for that cathartic emotional experience because teenagers are, are really built for you know, falling in love, you know, with somebody new six times a year and making <laughs> some big mistakes and having a lot of drama, and you know, that's their, their natural state. Um, I think, uh, at least in, in Western culture and in, or at least in America, as I experience it, um, it could be a cultural uh, thing rather than a natural thing. But um, that is what they do um they run around and have drama and and have big big feelings and and fight with their friends and make up again and you know change allegiances and um and i think you know it's a very high emotional time in life and when people were separated from each other because of of this pandemic they were very hungry for that kind of um catharsis catharsis in their reading and and uh you know and A song of achilles is historical fiction and we were liars as contemporary fiction so there are three different genres but they're all tragic love stories
0: mm, yeah absolutely i think you're right about the pandemic when we were separated from people and isolating and all that kind of stuff it, i like the word hunger because it did really make you um hungry for that actual togetherness which which can't be replaced by zoom you know we've tried we've tried it a lot but it can't be replaced that actual physical togetherness so yeah I think that's really important came at a timely a timely moment in our in our existence now the question that I ask all my guests that come on is why do you write that's a good question
1: because I don't really know the answer um I don't write um only for myself Mm-hmm. Um, I write for an audience. It's always a communication. I've never been a journaler um I've never written just for the joys um anything I'm writing is always with an eye to an audience mm-hmm. and um I think that's because writing for me is communication. whereas for some writers, writer you know they write to figure out what they think or they write um for pleasure of the story spooling out um I think I'm always trying to say something to other people
0: Mm. yeah so it's that real communication and as we were saying before that connection to the reader Mm -hmm. Mm, excellent I love that I love so much of what we've talked about today and like I said I've been a huge fan of we were lies for a very very long time now and so it was really lovely to see the sequel and you know even though I'd been removed from that world for I don't know how long of years and years once you got back in, it was just familiar territory. And to me, that tells me that, you know, We Were Liars was so visceral and, you know, so incredibly memorable that you could just dip back into the world like you were there yesterday. And I know it was years since I've read it. So I think that's a real credit to the power of the characters and the setting and what goes on in that world uh, for that to stay in your brain after, you know, I read probably about 80 to 100 books a year, and yet that one has still stayed stayed with me over the years. So thank you for, for writing it thank and you. sharing and sharing, um, sharing your thoughts with me today.
1: Yeah, glad to. Um, I'm, I'm really glad you had that experience with it. Oh yeah, it was a pleasure and thanks for having me on the podcast.